Okay, well, good evening and welcome to the Well of Life Center. For those of you who are present-day clients, you know that this is a really special evening for me. I have an opportunity to have two very um, special people into my life who came into my life at a time when I needed them most here to speak with you about an issue that is really close to my heart. Um, It was one of the tools that God was using in my life to fine-tune the way he purposed the functionality of our bodies. And when I had the pleasure of meeting our special guest this evening, Lou and Barbara Travato, it was at a time in my healing process where I had done what I thought was the right thing to do. I thought it was the right thing to do was to go and have all of my mercury removed. I had gone on to the websites that were suggested to me via my holistic, um, the holistic community. I had gone and sought out a dentist who had told me that she followed what is called the IAOMT standards. They are considered the top standards in the dentist, denti, dentist industry or dental industry to have the amalgamum fillings removed. She told me she followed those high standards. Um, We spoke about what it would look like. It sounded a little bit different than all of my research had led me to believe was considered the highest standards, but she informed me that not everybody had to um, follow the same protocol. And so I unknowingly and naively went into the removal of my mercury fillings. I want you to know that I had my mercury fillings since I was eight years old. I have eight brothers and sisters. We lived in Virginia. We, my parents worked for AT&T. We went to a dentist that was considered the AT&T dentist. A lot of young families went there. All of my brothers and sisters and I had fillings in our mouths. We were just, every time we went, there was a cavity. And we were always getting cavities. Cavities, 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 and fillings, fillings, fillings. And consequently, we moved from the Virginia, Washington, D.C. area we came up to New Jersey, and the, the dentist that we went to here was a graduate from Cornell. He worked in New York City, and he was working in a little place in Hunterdon County that was up and coming, the area. And he wanted to see our x-rays so that he could better assess us as patients. And he asked for the x-rays from the dentist, and the dentist refused to send the x-rays. And consequently, he had to get the ADA to subpoena him to get these x-rays because he was refusing to send them, uh, even though my parents signed off on it. Ultimately, what happened, and my parents were unaware, is that he was being indicted. And he was being indicted because he wrongfully put fillings or did mouth work on families in the Washington, D.C. area. He's consequently serving prison time because he spent a great deal of time putting fillings in in, in mouths that didn't actually have cavities. When the x-rays finally did arrive, and they were after his office was then taken over, um, they found that I had no cavities in my mouth, but yet I had a mouthful of fillings. So to keep that in mind, now we're talking many years later, and, and after having been in that position where I fought for my life, where I'm now having the mercury removed from my body. And we began with one quadrant, and her... her educating me on the proper way of doing this was, Cynthia, we need to do this within a two-week period of time or you'll get very sick. That's just what we do. You need to do it within two weeks. So I'm like, 
okay, let's just go for it. So she took out the first quadrant, and it was literally the day after she took out the first quadrant, I started with a migraine headache. I've never had migraine headaches. And I'm thinking, wow, what is this? And it was a real, it really took my body for a loop. She went to the second quadrant, and the headaches became more intense, more often, and I started dealing with the same symptomatology that I had when I was very sick, which was the incontinence in my bowel. I was starting with diarrhea, and if I thought about a bowel movement, I had one. I mean, there were lots of symptoms that were building with this. We got to the third quadrant, and by that time, I didn't even know if I was going to make it through the third quadrant. She was out of town, and she had a dentist come in to fill in for her. And I was explaining all of this to him. And he very nicely, in a, in a, in a very ethical way, informed me that maybe, and this is how he said it, maybe you should consider having a second opinion. And that's all he said. And I said, okay. So I stopped my mouth work for a period of time till I could get my body back on track. I was in Utah speaking at a conference, and one of the members of the audience was the president of the IAOMT, who lives in Utah. And as everyone knows, I just love these God moments, and I did not know that, and I finished doing my lecture, and I was introducing myself to the people in the audience, and he came up to me, and he introduced himself, and he told me that he was the president of the IAOMT, and I went, the denti, the dentistry, um, the standards, the one who, ha- who, who designs the dentistry standards. And he says, yes, for holistic dentistry. And he said, yes. I said, I need to talk to you. And I started sharing with him. And he looked at me and he went, yeah, she doesn't follow my standards. She doesn't follow the standards set by my, my organization. And I was planning on going out to Utah to have my, the, the rest of my third quadrant and my fourth quadrant done. When I was in Philadelphia, because I'm thinking, oh, there's nobody on the East Coast, right? I'm in Philadelphia. I am assisting in a lecture in Philadelphia. And in the audience is this amazingly handsome man with his beautiful wife. And I can't help but notice him in the audience. And I'm thinking, wow, if he does muscle testing, he's going to do really well. He's, he puts out this dynamic energy. I want to meet him. Well, he's not necessarily there to learn muscle testing. He just is this, he and his wife are these brilliant people who just love to learn. And they just want to know stuff. And if you know it, they want to know it with you. And that's why they're there. So I'm talking at the, at the, at the lecture and I get an opportunity to talk with him afterwards. And she takes me aside and she says, would you assess my husband and my son? They're not... They're not doing very well, and I really would love for you to assess them. So privately, we kind of went off, and we thought it was privately, and we ended up having a whole audience of people, like 27, I think, ultimately gathered around us as I was assessing them. But I had this opportunity to, to bond with someone who, and I, and I, and you know, I don't use the word pride when I speak, but who takes such pleasure in what it is God has called him to do. And it makes me very emotional because when I was in his presence, as I was assessing him, I thought, you're, you're a, a gem and, and I need to know you and I need to come up alongside of you. And I said to him, would you ever consider working on my mouth? <laughs> you know, most of you would probably go, oh, please work on her mouth. <laughs> and, and he said, I would love to work on your mouth. 
And I said, okay, well, if anyone knows me, they also know that I usually send, you know, scripture talks about how when Moses got to the promised land, he sent the, the, the surveyors ahead of them, right? He's, you know, go check it out. Let me know what you, what you find. And they came back and they went, we found these huge giants. You know, we don't know that you really want to go there. Well, that's kind of how I am. I sent my little, you know, surveyors out. So I sent all of my little guinea pigs to him first. Let me know how he is. <laughs> I'm teasing, but I did actually, that's what I did, but not for that reason. But they came back and they said, Cynthia, he's everything you said he was and more. And, and Barbara has such a heart. She's got a servant's heart. She's like you, only a brunette. And I said, oh my word, I want to go there. Well, I went there and my visit in his office was nothing short of amazing. And he made me feel comfortable immediately. He educated me from the time I walked through the door to the time I left. And I thought, I love this place because that's what I'm all about. And all of you who are my clients know that. You don't, if you leave having not learned something, it was not a good visit. Amen? And you leave learning something every time, right? Well, that's how I felt. So I am so pleased to present to you a couple who do take pleasure in what God has called them to do. An abundance amount of knowledge is going to come your way tonight. If you leave here having just obtained one pearl of wisdom that he has to share with you, consider yourself blessed. But I do ask that you keep a very open mind. This is a very, very controversial subject. And I'm just going to ask you to remain neutral in what you hear. Do not feel like immediately you have to run out and do what he is going to educate you on. We're going to be talking a little bit about that at the end of his lecture But I want you to just be neutral, if you could do that for me, and just be open to what it is they have to share. You're going to love their personalities. They work very well together. They're married, and they work together. Isn't that awesome? So I want to introduce to you Dr. Lou Travato, his lovely wife, Barbara, who is a nurse. Is that, are you? PhD, doctor also. So please give them a warm, well of life round of applause. Thank you. Thank you for such a gracious introduction. We're really pleased to be here. Thanks very much. Um, just, just to start it out, we do biologic dental, dentistry at Meaning House Dental Care. Lou is a, is a DDS. Um, he's got three fellowships in, in different dental academies. And the way we're talking to you now is not through that, but through he's also an NMD, he's a naturopath and with an integrated biologic dental medicine certification. I have that as well, and I'm an HHP. And we're, we're talking to you from that framework rather than from a dental framework. And we both absolutely encourage all of you, just like Cynthia said, you have to do the research for yourself. Only you can decide what makes sense to you. And there are two ways of looking at amalgams and you can find research to support either way. So you just find anything you can, you read everything you can and whatever makes sense for you, that's what you pay attention to. So we're not here to try to convince you of anything. We will answer all the questions that we have, that you have, that we possibly can, but we want to focus on you doing the research for yourself and making your own decisions. Um, Without patient initiation, unless you come to us and say, we want the amalgams removed, we don't even introduce that 
topic. We've got uh, plenty of things all around the office so that anyone who's interested would know that we, they could ask us, but no biologic dentist, no dentist will ever say to you, ah, oh, I think you should get your amalgams out, because you can't. It's just, you've, we only treatment plan or recommend removal or replacement of, of amalgams if there's clinical compromise or decay or the margins are breaking down or a tooth is broken and the amalgam is in there. And in that case, we've got all the safe amalgam technology so we can replace those fillings safely. Anything else is elective and you have to initiate the conversation with us. I'd just like to... Uh, let me switch spots with you here so we can... Um, just touch on that just slightly because you know people don't always appreciate what dentistry um, does in, in, in the background. You know, the powers that be in dentistry, the pro-amalgam groups are... Um, you know, they're in power right now, to be quite honest. And, you know, as a biologic dentist and understanding the implications of what mercury does to a person's body, and I'll, and I'll speak on that from a personal level, if we were to be vocal, if we were to be out there and, and, and trying to do things to, to promote the anti-mercury group, basically you get a bullseye on your back and you have to be very careful. And the, the powers that be can be very frustrating to deal with. And, and, you know, for me, and I have a lot of patients who are very militant in this, um, you know, they were down in Philadelphia campaigning for the um, informed consent that Philadelphia actually went, gotten, gotten through the, uh, the city council. Um, and they asked me, why, why aren't I out there? Why aren't I with picket signs? Why aren't I doing this? And, and my point to them is because I wouldn't be able to do this for you. You know, my job is not necessarily to be the vocal one out there. My job is to sit by a dental chair and help people who need, you know, this type of remediation. So uh, we try to be quiet. We try to be low-key about this because of the implications. And I just wanted to be clear on that. And, uh, you know, we'll speak about my individual problems later. But, you know, what is biologic dentistry? That's what this talk is all about. It's known as holistic dentistry, alternative dentistry, integrative dentistry. It recognizes basically that the mouth is a vital component to your entire body. And, you know, there's a, there's a saying by very, uh, you know, very astute people that the, the window to the body is the oral cavity. And if you understand that, you can see the implications of gum disease and you can see the implications of the mercury and you can see the implications of poor dentistry. You can see nutrition, you can see pH, you can see gut issues, you can see sinus problems right from the oral cavity. So as a dentist and the way we're trained, unfortunately, in dental school, we're taught to look at these little pearly whites through a little loop and, you know, we focus on these teeth and nobody ever teaches us to back up and look at a person, you know, that there's a, there's a person hooked to these teeth, you know, and, and these are things that we have to be aware of while we're working and, um, you know, this is where I think holistic dentistry really comes into play, looking at the whole person, not just the tooth. Integrative medical doctors and, uh, you know, healthcare practitioners, uh, they attribute two causes of the immune system deterioration directly to dentistry. And this is, again, important. Um, one of the causes is the heavy metals, you know, which is the biggest one of the bunch is, is mercury, but we also have nickel and silver and cadmium and on and on. So these are major components to people and, and their, their, their systemic problems. Uh, the other problem really is oral infection. Um, you know, we're not going to talk a lot about this tonight. You can certainly ask us later if you want to talk a little bit about root canals, um, another very controversial subject. Um, you know, root canals, infected jaw bones, um, 
these are things that you know we see every day in the practice and there's a lot of guys out there in dentistry who would like to put blinders on and just say this stuff doesn't exist it's not a problem but believe me it's a problem as 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 you'll find out um, Simon Hugh who is a uh, alternative medical doctor in St. Louis we met him several years ago at a um, EAV conference which was um, very, very cool. But, uh, you know, he insists that dentistry, it has to clear the toxic burdens in the mouth before any type of systemic issues can really be addressed. I, I, I tell my patients, you know, your dental problems is like a boulder in your road. And you're trying to go down this road to health. And unless you move that boulder out of the road, you're just going to be just whacking yourself right in the nose because it's not going to get better. Um, many doctors, you know, they, they really... When you see a lot of doctors and, and you're not getting anywhere, you know, you're, you're just, you're stressed, you're, you're, you're just not finding out, you have to just take a step back and look at your mouth, you know, and we have patients in the practice who never had a filling in their mouth, but their mother did. And see, these are implications that, again, dentistry doesn't really like to talk about, but if your mother had amalgams, you have amalgam. And... It, how it crosses the placental barrier, the breast milk, it's there. The, the, the research is out there, and um, it's unfortunate. So even if you have a pristine mouth, you can still be burdened by mercury. Dietrich Klinghart, Thomas Rao, two other you know, really brilliant physicians, alternative physicians, um, they emphasize the priorities of dentistry, obviously, and uh, the syntax of care of the chronically ill. In Germany, um, this is you know, just some background. Germans have a very, very strict approach to dentistry. You know, root canals, no. You know, mercury, no. It has to be cleaned up. And in a, in a German clinic, you can't see a medical doctor if you have dental problems. They'll red flag you and they'll say, go get your mouth fixed and then we'll talk to you. But we won't even look at you unless you have the dentistry done. And that's how, you know, that's how their standard of care goes. Europe in general is going to be a little more advanced with that. But, uh, you know, the United States, it's not even close. We don't, we don't do that. What about dentistry? The safety of amalgam fillings is such a controversial topic now in the United States and in the world. Sweden, Austria, Denmark, and Norway, they've all completely banned amalgam fillings. You can't get them. Um, in the United States, the FDA, we thought we had gotten somewhere in 2008 where they actually changed their website and put on the website that mercury has possibly neurotoxic effects on fetuses and developing children. But by 2009, they had reversed their, revoked their warning and gone back to their pro-amalgam stand. And that was through court battles. that would, They had won in 2008, and by 2009, they had lost ground. And simply the political battle in the United States has escalated since that point. There is um, the American Dental Association absolutely insists that amalgam fillings are standard of care and that they're safe. Um, and so you, you've got to be aware that any dentist that you come across who believes in the safety of amalgams truly believes in the safety of amalgams. They think that it is a, a, a very strong, efficient, cost-effective, safe way to restore teeth. And if you go to your regular dentist, and if that dentist is, a, is an amalgam-placing dentist, you can be sure that they believe in the safety or they wouldn't be doing it. So to say to that dentist, I need this mercury out because you put it in and it's killing me, you can't. You can't expect them to go there. You, um, it's, they, it's, it's, dentists are good people. And they, and they really believe in what they tell you they believe in. 
about 48% of the dentists in the United States still place amalgams. 52 don't. Many of the 52 don't place them because they're not aesthetically um, pleasing to them um, rather than safety, but still 52% no longer place them. Now, many of the dentists that you'll find that have the safe amalgam technology, there's about five of us in the, in the two-hour uh, driving range on, on this coast and a, a couple more in Jersey. They're just kind of spread out everywhere. Most of those dentists have this safe technology because they themselves became sick from mercury toxicity. And so if they clawed their way back and they got themselves detox and they're back standing again and they love dentistry and they want to keep doing it, you know that we need to have as much protection as we possibly can on that dentist and all of the team. Um, it's, it's an occupational hazard. Even if you don't place amalgams, when somebody walks in who has an amalgam and the tooth is breaking down, the dentist is right there in their mouth with the mercury vapor coming right up to them if they don't have safe amalgam equipment. So it's, it's the brain and the thyroid more than anything. Of course, it's systemic, but a lot of mercury goes right into, into those dentists. Now, some people have no effect. They notice nothing. They can go their whole lives with a whole mouthful of amalgams and not feel anything. And others will say, I got that amalgam in and from that day forward, I was sick. And you have to say, why? Why do some people, why are some people affected and others not? Well, the, the research, and Boyd Haley is just one of those, those gems on the planet. Um, he's a PhD out of Louisville and uh, he, he's done more research on mercury and root canal toxins than anybody on the planet. And, um, you know, when you hear him speak, you can sense his frustration. He tells the story about having a 20-year argument with the town drunk as he's dealing with the ADA and the people because all the information is there, all the science is there, and they just want to stick their head in the sand and not, not see it. And that's the frustrations that we deal with. And what he came up with is... Um, that people have a genetic predisposition to either being able to excrete heavy metals or bind them and keep them kind of secluded or not to be able to handle them at all. And what they, what they found were the E4 alleles. Um, there's an E2, E3, and E4 allele. And these can be tested. You can do blood tests to find these things out. But these are the people, the E2 alleles, are the people who can excrete mercury. So they're the ones that don't hold it in their system and can get rid of it. And, you know, when I talk to patients again about this, you know, why did I get sick and my neighbor's got a mouthful of silver fillings and they don't? It's the same reason that her grandmother smoked every day of her life and lived to 92, you know? So, and why does somebody smoke and get lung cancer at 38? You know, I don't know, but there's obviously some type of detox mechanisms in certain people that are just really good. And that's what you hope to be born with, but unfortunately not all of us are. So if you're born with E4 alleles, you're not going to tolerate any type of heavy metals, especially mercury. And this is kind of the whole science behind this. So that's kind of the answer. You can certainly do your own research. But, you know, when people ask me that, well, why me and not her? Or, you know, why? This is the why. It's a genetic predisposition. All silver fillings. <laughs> this is an interesting one, too. Even those placed today... <laughs> this, 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 you know, this is just one of those things that kind of gets me, but we're going to get into some things now. Um, they all contain 48 to 52% mercury, all of them. And, and you'll have people come in and say, oh, I had this new amalgam put in. It doesn't have any mercury. 
There is no such thing. They all have mercury in them, and they all have at least 50%. Varying manufacturers, um, and there are uh, over 100 manufacturers, you know, will give their MSDS sheets out, and uh, you know, when you look at these things, the silver fillings will contain mercury, which is the biggest component, which is also kind of a, a chuckle to me because whenever you look at components of something, I don't know how they get away with calling them silver fillings because silver is only 15%. They should be called mercury fillings because that's 50%, you know, but you'll never hear a, 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 an ADA dentist call them mercury fillings. They're going to be silver fillings. There's copper in it. Um, there's zinc in it. There's tin in it, you know, and it, these are things that um, a lot of people react to. This is just another way of looking at it. Uh, this is out of um, the Chicago Tribune. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is across the board, pretty much all the hundred companies out there making this stuff. Can I touch on one thing real quick about... <laughs> Barb had mentioned earlier about the, um, the FDA and reversing their stance. When, uh, when they were doing the, res or they were doing the, um, the work with the FDA and, and they got the... They got the structure of what they were going to put out there as far as amalgams were uh, not going to be good for fetuses, not going to be, you know, for pregnant women, I should say, for um, immune-compromised individuals, um, young, you know, I mean, they, they, had a, they had their parameters. Bush left office, Obama came in office, a new head of the FDA came in, looked at this and said, uh-uh, we're not doing this. And that's pretty much what happened. She just nixed it. They found out later that this woman, her name was Barbara Hamburg, was on the board of directors of Henry Schein. Henry Schein is the biggest amalgam distributor in the country. So, you know, when you, when you look at what happens behind the scenes, it's, it's you know, it, sometimes you, you laugh and sometimes you cry, you know, because this is the stuff that's going on. The science is there. They knew it was there. And she just came in and said, nope, we're not doing this. And that's how it happened. So, Sorry. <laughs> So the question is, do amalgams compromise health? Um, this is to give you an idea just graphically of where there's many exposures to, to mercury. It's not just your amalgams. If, if there's mining going on, the air has mercury in it and it leaks down into the water system. There's industry um, emissions of mercury, etc. But this is how much comes to a body burden, comes from dental amalgams and then seafood and then other you see. And air and water is that small. Um, so it's, it's interesting. And seafood, there's some indication with the seafood that when you're eating the fish and there is mercury in the fish, you may also be eating parts of the fish's biochemistry that will allow you to bind and remove the mercury. So, so that's something to look into um, as well. Now this is another slide, you see it's the same thing, industrial, other, mercury amalgam filling, seafood, and I just wanted to put this in here to show you what second is the vaccines, because we vaccinate our children from the day they're born, and you have to be really careful that you don't have mercury in those vaccines. Timerosol is mercury, and timerosol is what's used to stabilize the, the batches of the vaccines, and you can insist upon having vaccines for your children that are single dose and they're more likely to not contain the timerosol but many of the doctors may not be fully aware of what is in the vaccines under a certain percentage the manufacturer are not required to report it and the flu shots all flu shots have mercury in it so you need to be aware of all of that and um 
you might have to do your own research for it because mo many medical doctors are not aware themselves that, that there's any problem with that. And often opposing camps, the two different camps, the controversy, they're using the exact same studies and drawing opposing um, conclusions, which again is why we say make sure that you do your own research and actually read the papers and research so you can make your own conclusions. There are so many um, amalgam is safe studies that focus on the research that shows when they d tested for mercury burden that there was none. Hair analysis, no mercury shown in the hair and they say, look, this is safe. But the problem is, is that you go to the other side, anti-amalgam, that it's not safe, and they'll tell you there's no mercury in the hair because those people are unable to bind and excrete the mercury. So what does the body do in order to maintain homeostasis? You sock it away into your organs and tissues to keep your bloodstream free so that you're still functioning, but you're not excreting it so it can't be measured. So it's actually the, the reverse. So read the studies themselves. 1976, uh, this is a huge, huge date in, uh, in dentistry. That's, uh, that's the date they put copper into amalgam fillings. And um, the reason they did that was because um, it increased the strength. And uh, they increased it from 3% to 30%. Um, you know, the high copper amalgams, um, they're pretty much state-of-the-art right now. This is what we find uh, pretty much across the market today in dentistry. You can't find uh, an amalgam without a high copper content. Since 1976. Since 1976, correct. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the numbers are down now. You know, we're, we're, we're looking at better numbers because more and more dentists are, are going towards the cosmetic route and they're putting more composites in. Uh, and again, unfortunately, not necessarily because of the mercury, but because of the aesthetics. Um, but, you know, the, um, you know, the, the copper content is, is a problem. There's no doubt about that. The, and, and this is just pointing out that <laughs> there's 30 to 40 tons of mercury uh, per year in amalgam fillings, which is an amazing amount, in my opinion. What happens, unfortunately, it, you know, when they put the copper in, they were doing it for a good reason to be, make it stronger, but what they found is it releases mercury 50 times faster. Um, again, Boyd Haley, if, if you ever get a chance to hear this guy, he's amazing. You know, um, yeah, he's on the internet, he's got YouTube stuff, but you know, he talks about those studies that Barb was talking about with the, uh, you know, the conflicting you know, results looking at the same study saying, well, this is good and this is bad. But he can break it down, and I'm telling you, he's, he's brutal when he breaks it down because he doesn't, he doesn't cut those guys any slack. But the, the diagnosed uh, autism spectrum disorder suggesting the synergism between the copper and the mercury and the amalgams. And, you know, there's also other studies out there. Mercury is incredibly synergistic with a lot of different metals. One of them happens to be lead. And, you know, if you do any type of chelation studies and you start looking at the mercury and the lead and the nickel and the cadmium and all the other kind of heavy metals that we look at, when you see high mercury and high lead or high mercury and high copper, you know, you have to understand that it's not 2 plus 2 equals 4. This, this is 2 plus 2 equals 10 million. I mean, it's so incredibly exponentially deadly. Um, they had a study where they took, there's a, there's a, um, there's a, a statement called LD1, and I don't know if anybody's familiar with any of this stuff, but LD is the lethal dose. So when you say LD1, that's the lethal dose of mercury that we gave to 100 lab rats and one of them died. 
okay? And they take an LD1 of lead, and they do the same thing. This is the amount of lead we gave to 100 rats, and one of them died. When you combine the two, all 100 rats died. So you can understand when, when, when people have these tests done, and I happen to have been one of them. You know, I, I kind of was alluding to that earlier. When I finally realized my problems and my, my issues were mercury and heavy metals, I went and had a chelation test, and they just, you know, we did it. We did the urine test, and I got it back, and my mercury was not on the scale was off the scale and my lead was high and you know the fellow who did it for me is looking at it and he's looking at me and he's like how are you walking around I mean I don't know how you're not dead and that's pretty much how I felt but I was still pushing myself but the point is that these things are all over the place it's you know we talked about in the air you got lead in the pipes we used to have lead in gasoline thank god that's not there anymore but you're getting it everywhere so you can understand that it's not two plus two equals four that's really the bottom line with it copper unfortunately, is almost as toxic as mercury. So again, they're taking one toxic metal and combining it with another toxic metal, not even realizing the synergistic battle, but, you know, it's a problem. Now, here are the stats for the mercury emission. Each, each tooth in your, in your head has five surfaces. So one surface of one filling at rest, not stimulated, emits approximately one microgram of mercury per day. Try to keep that in mind because there is no safe level of mercury. There's no standard. There's nothing that anybody can say. You, they either say it's safe or, or they say it's not safe. Even the World Health Organization, which is not particularly against amalgams, has uh, recently come to the conclusion and said so officially that there may be no um, there may be no threshold over w- under which a mercury is, is safe to have in your, in your mouth. So OSHA and EPA, they set the environmental exposure level. Um, so if you have a mercury light bulb, you know, the twirly ones, and you break it, or if you're in industry, they set it at 50 micrograms in an eight-hour day of exposure that a human can tolerate. At 51 micrograms, then you, the facility is shut down. It's considered contaminated. It has to be remediated professionally. So I don't know if any of you have ever read the instructions on the on the mercury light bulbs, but it tells you what to do if if you break one. And part of it is is evacuate the house, get your children, get the pets out, and then it tells you what to do about like with sawdust and how to try to clean it up safely. But 51 micrograms, it then is considered environmental um, toxicity. So it's really difficult to estimate the amount of. Mer- amalgam fillings that most people have, but the average American studies seem to kind of um, agree that among the amalgam-bearing people, eight amalgams in an adult is approximately average. So remember, one surface per of one filling, at rest, one microgram per day. All the way back in 1970, there was a PhD who, av- who estimated that an average mouthful of amalgams produced 150 micrograms. Remember, 51 micrograms is an environmental threshold uh, at which it's t- toxic to be around. So one mouth, 150 micrograms of mercury in a 24-hour period of time. In 1981, there was another study, and I'm choosing these old dates so that you can see how long we've known about this. 1981, Charman Obersteimer indicated that just a few micrograms 
one microgram per surface at rest per day. Just a few micrograms is enough to severely disturb cellular function, especially in the brain and in the nerve tissue. And a few atoms of mercury can cause birth defects, and there are billions of atoms in each microgram. Just to kind of put it all in perspective. It doesn't circulate freely in the body. Uh, blood, hair, urine tests um, to measure their presence. We talked a little bit about this earlier. Uh, they're very limited in their diagnostic value because I say if they're in there, good, you know, because that means you're getting it out. You know? So if you have mercury in your hair, that's a good thing. If it's not in your hair, it's somewhere because if it's in your mouth, it's in your body. Simple as that. And these tests are good tests. You just, have to have, you just have to have somebody who knows how to interpret them and know what they're looking for. It may not des- definitely give you the mercury burden of your body, but it gives you a lot of useful information. So we're not saying they're not good tests. They're very good. <clears throat> no one denies that it's, uh, that it's released from stimulated amalgam fillings any longer because even the ADA now is saying that it does come out. Um, the World Health Associ- Association says that it does come out of your silver fillings. They used to say it was inert, it was, it was in there, it was never going to be removed, but that's not the case. So, how's it released? Chewing, grinding, hot liquids, whitening teeth, which is really, really kind of something that we, we as, as a dental practice, uh, became very diligent about because you know everybody gets their teeth bleached these days. You can go into a mall and get your teeth bleached, and we'll walk down. Where, where were we? We were in a, a home show or something, and they had a booth and they're bleaching people's teeth. And I walked over, and these aren't dentists that are doing this; they're just technicians. And I was like, "Do you realize that you know if you you have amalgams in your mouth that you're re- eliciting mercury vapor? You know when you're doing it, and the guys looking at me like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> you know, but." It oxidizes the mercury, and it, and it brings the mercury out quicker because of the peroxides in there. Uh, acidic foods, um, biogalvanic current, which I didn't talk about yet. Cleaning, you know, when your hygienist is in there with a profi cup going, you know, heating that thing up. Mercury vapor. Even brushing and flossing at home is going to release mercury vapor. It's any kind of stimulation on the, on the amalgams will do it. Um, there's one study at the, um, at the Ohio State School of Dentistry that showed that uh, 1,560% increase just after chewing of mercury emission, just after chewing gum for 10 minutes. And once stimulated, this is the thing, once stimulated, you can measure the mercury coming off for an hour and a half afterwards. There's all kinds of equipment to measure. One of, one of the simplest is the Jerome meter, but you can put the Jerome meter right into your mouth and just stimulate that filling a little bit and, and it will do a reading talking about this weekend they, 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 we were at a seminar this weekend and they were talking about they had a um, they had a laboratory that was it was a contained laboratory and they were doing these really extensive experiments under under all kinds of you know real you know <laughs> good quality control and every time this one guy would walk in all the instrumentation would shut down and they couldn't figure out what was going on and they finally realized when he was walking in he had a mouthful of amalgams the air in the room just got contaminated with the mercury vapor, shut all the machines down. And they had to kick this guy out because he was messing everything up. But, you know, it's pretty, it's amazing stuff. Now, you can visit the website for the, um, for the IOMT that Cynthia was telling you about to actually find footage of um, watching the uh, amalgam, the mercury come off. It's a very powerful video, to be honest with you. I, I, you can certainly look it up. Okay, mercury has several forms and converts from one to the other in the body. This is something, um, we had, a, we had a, a, a fellow come up and speak with us several years ago in my naturopathic uh, study group, and um, his name is Christopher Shade, he's out of Colorado, and 
I think it was a PhD. He, he, he was the first, it was the first time after hearing his talk that I actually understood mercury. And you would think, as a dentist, that they would teach me this stuff, but I thought mercury was mercury. I never even realized how many forms of mercury there were and what, what the interactions were. But it begins in elemental form, which is what we all know, the silver stuff that, you know, that's in the thermometers. Um, it's also what's in your silver fillings. It's as a gas and a vapor. That's elemental mercury. This is the primary thing that we do everything we can to protect you against, um, that all biologic dentists will do to protect you against. This is the primary thing because it has no binding sites. It goes right into your system and it moves. So everything that we have is to keep that vapor off of you. If a chunk of mercury falls down into your mouth while you're working, it was in your mouth already. Like it's, That's not what we're worried about. We're worried about the vapor. That It's um, important. It diffuses through the dental bone, enters the pulp, the jaw. It's implicated in, in chronic infections. The, uh, the oxidized elemental mercury becomes inorganic mercury. And uh, inorganic mercury actually has two binding sites on it. So it becomes very sticky and it'll stick to your gums. If anybody ever heard the term amalgam tattoo, an amalgam tattoo is like a, like a ball of mercury. It's not the actual mercury, but it's, it's the ions of the mercury going into your gum causing this black spot. And this is, this is the inorganic mercury because it's so sticky in there. It can't, you can't get rid of it. But the good news about it is it doesn't move around like the vapor does. So it's, uh, it's implicated in periodontal disease and uh, mucosal membrane issues and uh, another dental joke. <laughs> Um, elemental mercury vapor is absorbed 100% through the nose and through the oral mucosal membranes with a net uptake of 80% rather than 100% because of dead air space and breathing passages. So 80% of all elemental mercury gets absorbed. <clears throat> After it's absorbed, 50% uh, of it dissolves in the plasma, 50% binds to erythrocytes. Um, this is something that, that's seen in blood analysis. I don't know if anybody's ever had blood analysis where they look under your look at your blood under the microscope, but um, I had it done, and I was page as I was as I was having it done. I was paging through the book because they let me look at it, and, it, and it, every page is a different you know screen, and it would you know. And I, I'm curious. I'm like, well, what does mercury look like? And I open it up, and the red blood cells, you know, you'll see them. They're circular, and right in the middle, there looks like a little little bullseye or a little eyeball looking right back at you. And I'm going. Oh, that's interesting. You know, that's the heavy metals building up in the erythrocytes. So I immediately put the book down. I turn and I look into this microscope and that's what I see. You know, so it was like, okay, that's, that's it. The vapor becomes inorganic mercury intracellularly and binds the thiol groups on the proteins, uh, inhibiting the protein function. And th this is where mercury really becomes a problem because, you know, when you look at the list of what mercury does in your body, it's about 20 pages. I mean, it's everything. And the reason is this right here, because when mercury involves itself in your proteins, your proteins don't work. And how our body works is proteins and enzymes. I mean, if you think about a gear of a watch, you know, every gear would be like a protein. And every time this turns, this turns. And every time this, and that's how your body works. And when you stick mercury into that, and it's, 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 the, it's the stick in the wheel, and it just shuts everything down. And, you know, it's really, uh, it's compromising. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but once it's bound, it can't 
pass out of the organs. And this is the problem, and you'll see in a second how it, how it goes from one form to another. And if it goes in as vapor and turns into inorganic while it's in your brain, it ain't coming out, you know, and that's, that's an issue. Um, it crosses the placenta. We talked about that earlier to the fetus. This is how the mother can transfer it to the, to the fetus and with young children through the breast milk. Um, the content, uh, you know, of the organs and the, and the feet, of, the, of the fetus and the nursing infants correlates with the number of mothers, um, the mother's amalgams. There's a direct correlation there. And again, all these studies are out there. And this was part of the FDA thing where they were going to, you know, try to keep this under control with nursing mothers and pregnant women. And uh, it just kind of fell apart. Um, but the, the concentration correlates with the number of mother's amalgams. It, you know, again, we, we've been talking about this the whole time, but when you chew and you eat, you swallow mercury. Um, you know, swallowed mercury converts to methyl mercury because of the... Uh, and it, methyl mercury is what we refer to as organic mercury as opposed to inorganic mercury. When you talk about organic mercury, that means something that's alive. So what's changing or converting it is your gut flora. You know, the, the, the intestinal bacteria work with the mercury and, and, and convert it. And the problem is, again, this stuff causes a lot of gut inflammation. So we see patients sitting in a chair. I had one this morning telling me she's dealing with chronic colitis and it's been going on forever. And I open her mouth and there's eight silver fillings. Well, duh. You know, I mean, it's, gonna, it, it's getting there. It's getting in your system. You're going to have gut issues. And, uh, you know, we don't talk about it here, but there's also fungal issues because mercury and candida are like this. And, you know, there's all these issues that are happening systemically and that's that big boulder you know and you got to move it out of the way if you want to get better go ahead um well we'll talk about inflammation there's a there's a um there's a three there's a three-step process in your gut um uh, well not in your gut in your liver and in your cells of detoxification and the inflammation in the gut actually has a negative feedback loop to that detoxification process and shuts it down phase one of detoxification, whether it be liver or intercellularly, converts the toxins into kind of a free radical. And we all know that free radicals aren't good, but it has to do that in order to have phase two be able to bind to the free radicals. And then once it's bound, it goes into phase three, which is excretion, which is why I'm sure, you know, you're all pretty aware if you're working with, you know, well, life here, you know, you, you got to get your modes of elimination working if you want to do any form of detox. Your kidneys, your liver, your gallbladder, your skin, your, your lungs all have to be able to push this stuff out because if you don't and it just re gets back in your system, it's just going to go back and, and just kind of just roll around in there and you've got to just get it, bind it, and get it out. That's the key. But... With the gut inflammation, that negative feedback goes back to the, to the system, the, the detox system, and basically shuts off phase two, which is the binding. But nothing shuts phase one down, and that's the biggest issue. And that's why people really get sick with this, because phase one is all about creating free radicals. And if free radicals are just, just being churned up and there's no phase two to bind them and neutralize them, you've got problems. And this that's is what great. mercury does. And you, you, that's why there's always a syntax. You don't just say, I'm going to go get my amalgams out. You have a health practitioner, and, and like well will, the well will tell you when you are strong enough, when your paths of elimination are open, when you can handle getting the amalgams removed. Just, so there, it's, 
you have to get rid of that in order for the well of to get you stronger. But you just can't run out and get it done. You have to wait till it's time, till, right. till you're ready to and, do and, it. And you know, Cynthia talked on that earlier, where she had her amalgams removed and got sick, and that's part of it. You know, I mean, it, it, there's a protocol here. There's a syntax, and it has to be followed. And when I have patients that walk in my office and say, you know, usually when they come in, they'll be referred. And, you know, if they're referred from a wellness center, I'm in good shape because I know they're well taken care of. They're here and they understand what's going on. But if they just come in and say, yeah, I was reading this stuff on the Internet and I want to get my amalgams out, you know, that, that's not how we do it. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, it, there's a lot of problems with that. Okay, back. Elemental mercury, uh, it experiences an 80% uptake. We talked about this in the lungs. And moderate uptake in the intestines crosses the blood-brain barrier, the placenta, and diffuses into tissues. Remember, elemental mercury, that's the vapor, the gas, it goes everywhere. Inorganic mercury experiences poor uptake in the intestines, poor mobility in general, and does not cross the blood-brain barrier. It's sticky. This is when the, that little 2 next to HG, that's the two binding sites. It just... It grabs on the things and it doesn't move. Methylmercury has a 95% uptake from the intestines. Good mobility crosses the blood-brain barrier and the placenta. And ethylmercury, which we haven't talked much about, is in your vaccines. This is the thimerosal, and it has 100% absorption by injection. Of course, it's 100%. You're injecting it into your system. Good mobility crosses the blood-brain barrier and the placenta. So to summarize here, and this is the problem with mercury, is... Elemental goes to inorganic. Inorganic goes back to elemental in the intestines. <clears throat> inorganic can go to methyl. Methyl can go to inorganic. Ethyl can go to inorganic. And you can see how this transition here, there, and everywhere is happening consistently throughout your body. So if you happen to have vapor and you're sitting in front of a dental patient like I did for 27 years, breathing mercury vapor going right up my nose, right into my brain, being converted in there, and just being stuck... You can understand why I will detox for life. You know? So there's no easy road here. You know? And uh, to think that there is, is, is it's not going to happen because of this situation right here. So and ahead. detoxing basically is for life. The only thing that's going to happen immediately when your mercury is out is that you'll get rid of the galvanic effect, which could be a major, huge relief to everybody, but you still have a lot of work to do. You have to think on the average, you have to figure, I'm going to commit to at least two years of detox. And after that, it's a maintenance thing where you just are going to detox for life because of environmental toxicity. But it can take you a good two years of maybe feeling worse before you actually feel better. Because if, you're, if, you're, if your tissues and your organs have the mercury bound, and you've got your passive elimination open, and your amalgams are out, so you no longer have that constant re-uptake um, of, of emissions. Your organs and your tissues start to release it, and then it goes back into your bloodstream, so you retoxify as you detoxify. So this is the battery effect that we were talking about. Whenever you have dissimilar metals in an acidic environment, you have a battery. What are the metals that are in amalgam? So you got silver, tin, zinc, mercury, copper. copper. And saliva is an electrolyte. It's, it's, it's very conducive. And it is inherently um, acidic. Not overly acidic, but it's acidic because it's the beginning of your digestive uh, system. And every tooth, every tooth in your mouth is a living organ. All of your organs in your body have a low-level electrical charge. We are a bioelectrical system. So when you've got dissimilar metals, one amalgam is a dissimilar metal. And you've that, like walking over a carpet, 
and then you touch the doorknob and it discharges. Have, have you ever done that, that static electric buildup? So the, the charge builds up in the tooth and then it releases the charge. And it always follows... It always follows the path of least resistance, which is right through the natural fluids beneath the tooth and then up through the brain. That is the path of least resistance. So amalgam is not the only thing that has dissimilar metals. Porcelain crowns also do. So most people have, in, in the back teeth, unless their dentist has um, access to a CIRAC machine, because with the CIRAC machine you can mill solid block ceramic restoration, and it's as strong as the porcelain fused to metal crowns that you get in the lab, but they are dissimilar metals. There's four different kinds of these porcelain fused to metal crowns. We just call them PFM crowns. This is, this is the highest of the, of the kinds of the four. This is the high end. You see it's got 40% gold. Gold is an excellent, excellent metal. If you had to get metal, and sometimes you have to, gold has got the lowest galvanic charge that goes with it. But you see, even with this kind of crown, there's 10% unidentified metal that they don't have to report because it's low level. And nobody knows. I can't find out what it is. The next highest level is the high noble yellow. Um, again, a high percentage of gold, but now you see the platinum and silver coming in. And this is the, um, the last kind of filling, if I can get this to change. There it goes. And you see how much nickel's in this. If you ever hear anybody that's got a crown and they say, as soon as that crown went in, it just itched and I wanted to pull it out, it's that person's allergic reaction to the nickel that's in the crown. And can I, can I interject real quick? Um, I can't tell you how many times patients come into my practice, you know, and they're totally unaware that a crown is not a crown. And you have to understand that, you know, a non-precious crown. This came into existence because back in the uh, probably the late 70s, early 80s, gold went through the roof. There was a big run on gold, and you know that was the main staple of dentistry back then. We would do gold crowns or gold with porcelain over them. And when gold got so expensive, the dental materials world had to come up with an alternative, and they came up with this. And at the time, we all jumped on board because, wow, we got a cheap, nice, easy way to do this. This was really hard material. You can put it on there. The problem was four, five, six years later, we're seeing these patients come back with inflammation around the gum and bleeding around these crowns. They were having an allergic reaction, most likely to the nickel, because nickel is one of the most highly allergic metals on the planet, and we didn't realize it at the time. Now, I don't use it. I've never used it. I thought it was just awful stuff to begin with, but a lot of guys still use this, and if you have... She's my politically correct person here. You know, I'm sorry, but I have to sometimes say what I feel. But if you're going to someone who has to cost contain, and what I mean by that, if you're involved with a PPO or an HMO, you have to understand the nature of the beast there. They're getting paid very little for your, you know, their services, and they have to cost contain. And what they do sometimes is they'll create crowns from non-precious metal. And where they get them from, unfortunately, a lot of times is China and Taiwan. And it was a whole to-do about a year and a half ago, I think 60 Minutes did a thing, where these things were coming back and they were contaminated and they were, there, was, there was bacteria on it and it was, it was nasty stuff. And you just have to have your eyes open when you go into a dental office and you have to ask questions because a crown is not a crown. You can have one made out of a high content gold, which will be a beautiful crown, or you can have one made out of this stuff and be in a lot of, a lot of trouble. So. Or even now, like we have a CIRAC machine, so we can mill our own crowns out of solid black ceramic. But the good thing is I, call, I, I give out all, all day long, I give out to people the phone number for this dental lab. There's more and more dental labs that will make that same solid black ceramic. So you can go to your dentist and ask for a solid 
solid ceramic crown. And all they have to do, they do the same exact prep, the same exact delivery, everything they're used to. It's just you go, you, you, they can send your prep to a lab that will give them a ceramic crown. And what that solid does ceramic. is really that it nice. eliminates the metal. Yeah, there's you know? no metal. And, no and I think in the scheme influence. of getting healthy, not having metal in your mouth would be a good thing. You know, I don't care what it is. You know, having all ceramic or all composite <laughs> would be a good thing. And that's what we find pretty much across the board. But you don't have to go to a dentist that has a Cirrhic machine. The labs are doing it now for you too. Um, The symptoms of potential galvanism, I wanted to go over these because I I do think that this is important just that you be exposed to it. Now, this is a compilation that I made from textbooks, from medical textbooks and medical literature. But just because you see one of these symptoms that you may have, that does not mean that you have mercury toxicity. It does not mean that you're suffering from a battery effect. There are other things that can go with these symptoms and they are almost the identical list that goes with if you have a neurotransmitter imbalance, um, like your uh, low dopamine, low um, serotonin, uh, you know, for whatever purpose, high cortisol. So almost the same symptoms. And they're almost the same symptoms if you are EMF sensitive. So if you're very sensitive, like around a lot of electrical magnetic equipment in the electromagnetic field, you'll see the same symptoms. So if you think about it, though, the galvanic effect is an interrupter of the bioelectrical communication of your body and most of these things that you'll see are symptoms of that electrical um, interruption which is also comes from the neurotransmitter um, imbalance the MF fields etc so they overlap what I tell my patients is you have your electrical center right here this is what's running your body electrically and you have a force field in your mouth. And these, 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 these stimuli have to come through this force field. And if they get muddled up or redirected, you're going to have issues. And EMF sensitives are really, really something that I look at galvanism. I mean, that's one of those things that I look immediately at it. The other thing would be, uh, you know, things like vertigo and headaches and, you know, things of that nature. But you look in there, you measure this stuff. It's off the scale. It's like, well, you know, I think we, we know what's going on here. And the nice thing about it is when you remove all the metals and you get some compatible materials in there, this goes away. This part does right away, yeah. So you, you can have, you can experience tremors, anemia, palpation, because your heart is an electrical organ. Heartbeat irregularities, pressure in your chest, pain in your chest, flushing. Now, you can also have muscle soreness and joint pains, chronic frequent headaches, pain or tingling or numbness or coldness in your extremities, in your fingers and your toes. can be tingling in the lips, um, excess salivation, inflammation of your, of your mouth tissues, loosening of the teeth, alveolar bone loss, the amalgam tattoos, the blue lines on the gum. You can have ulcerations in your mouth. We have, um, we have one patient who constantly has a mouthful of ulcers. They're extremely painful. And she smokes. So the combination of the amalgams and smoking, she can't get rid of them. And there is, you might want to look it up if you know anybody who smokes. There's a lot of research coming out now about how difficult, almost impossible it is to quit smoking if you've got amalgams in your mouth. It's a, it's a biochemical interaction. It's really interesting if you want to look that up. Oh, a periodontal disease, bleeding gingiva. A lot of people that cannot control their periodontal disease. And they go into the dentist and they say, I'm doing everything you're telling me to. I'm flossing, I'm brushing, excellent home care. But they still have the amalgams. The elemental mercury comes off, 
converts oxidizes to to inorganic mercury to binding site sticky all over the mucosa that bacteria love it it's it's a whole combination you get the amalgams out and it's so much easier to control your your periodontal disease can i jump in real quick they they did a study um with um a swab. They just went in and just took a swab from under someone's gum, put it in a petri dish, and cultured it, mm-hmm. and it grew. You know, like it wouldn't you would expect it to grow. And then they did the same thing. Same patient took another swab, put it in a petri dish, and put a tiny electrical current into the petri dish, very similar to this galvanic response that we're talking about here. And when they opened it up the next day, the bacteria literally were growing out of the petri dish. So again, we talk about synergy and exponential, you know, type of, of things that happen exponentially this increased the bacterial growth and it's just that minor electrical charge the bacteria love it they love it you can get the metallic taste that foul breath burning tongue so many dentists say there is no known cause for burning tongue and and there really isn't anything that says it's from this but just look in the mouth and see do you have amalgams if you're experiencing that inflammation of your kidneys and anything that goes with it because again with that inflammation things get clogged up and it locks down in your systems you have to have your paths of elimination open before you start to detox things that go with that inflammation of the kidneys like the urgent or frequent urination um, bedwetting uh, same thing with your with your gut if it's inflamed you get constipation or diarrhea uh, you can experience the vaginal itching cramps anorexia chronic obesity inability to control your weight um, burning itching tearing eyes um, sometimes double vision there is there are a number of studies that um, have studied children who are now wearing glasses and took it back to when was your first amalgam and there's so many of the kids had the amalgam placed and that same month was when they ended up starting with their first set of glasses um, dizziness the decreased hearing or ringing in your ears which is tinnitus anything electrical that you can think of like, like ears excessive mucus um, sinus congestion or, or chronic sinus infections wheezing or persistent cough allergies asthma nasal inflammation insomnia um, fatigue and drowsiness which would go with the insomnia and then just all kinds of mood swings it could be unexplained apathy loss of interest anxiety crying spells um, depression irritability nervousness we had uh, a friend um, a man who went to school dental school at temple with Lou had a lovely practice uh, a wife and children pulled into his um, driveway one night and shot himself just unexplained suicidal thoughts you no reason for it you just you're not sure it's just part of it there's um dentists have a lot of trouble with that they actually had to take a course i think in in dental school uh dentists have the second highest suicide rate in the nation um, antisocial behavior, difficulty concentrating. You, you always hear about the brain fog. Difficulty remembering, concentrating, thinking. Um, and then anything like with the deterioration of your mental faculties, like Alzheimer-like symptoms, hallucination. Sometimes in children you'll find hyperactivity or excitability. Skin disturbances, like rashes. That's what Lou was saying, the bacteria. And your skin is your biggest it's your biggest organ as it is but it's your biggest detox organ and so you'll get rashes and it's your body trying to get it out we have this patient right now we have removed one half of of her amalgams one side 
One half of her face is completely clear skin, and right down the middle, right down her nose, right down her chin, there's a, demar- a demarcation, and this side of her face still has the acne on it. And it's, it's, it's wild to look at. She can't wait to get the other side out. <laughs> And galvanism is one of the primary stimuli for releasing that mercury from amalgam fillings. It's one of the primary oxidizers. <clears throat> there, there's straightforward clinical reasons for replacing amalgams. You know, we, 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 that's what we do. We're not doing them in the first place. What, well, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, the aging amalgams, you know, we see that every day in, in, in our hygiene exams and things like that. That's not the problem. But... Um, you know, what you have to understand about an amalgam filling is that in order for a dentist to put one in, there's no mechanical retention. So they have to do what they call undercut the preparation. Not to get technical, but if you can envision a hole in a tooth and they have to make it look like this in order for the amalgam to pack into the side so it just doesn't fall out when you chew something sticky. Now, when you do that, what happens now is you compromise the cusps that that undercut just got into and now you run the risk of breakage of those cusps and I tell you know again I, I, I say a lot of things to my patients unfortunately some of them I shouldn't say but you know I tell them I call amalgam fillings basically just you know crowns waiting to happen you know because sooner or later they're going to break and it's just a matter of when and then you throw the, the, the expansion contraction coefficient in there because mercury relax, reacts in there just like it does in a thermometer you drink something hot it expands you drink something cold it contracts so you've got micro fractures you've got you know the undercut you've got compromised margins you get decay in here and the worst thing and I think the next picture is this is what you see on an x-ray and as a dentist you know we're looking at this filling right here you can't see through metal I mean this is like a lead apron as far as I'm concerned so if there's any decay underneath this amalgam you can't diagnose it so you can't see it or a microfracture or anything the longevity for amalgams is about five to seven years. Composite is about the same, you know. And again, if the if the tooth filling ratio has been respected, and what I mean by that is, when, whenever we're deciding what we're going to do, you know, patients sit in my chair and say, "Okay, doc, what are you going to do? Uh, what are you going to replace this with?" A smaller filling is going to re- be replaced with a composite. That's it, you know. End of story. But when you start getting to the point where you have more than fifty percent filling in the tooth. Now you're relying on the, 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 the 40 or 30 or 20% of tooth structure to hold that filling together. Plastic or composite is not going to work. It's just going to break. You know? So you're chewing on these things. Think about it. You're going to put a plastic filling in a molar with 10% tooth left. It's not going to work. That's where porcelain comes in. That's where a CIRAC comes in. And that's how we make our decisions based on the tooth filling ratio. If there's more tooth than filling, then a, a composite will work well. If there's more filling than tooth, the Composite, which is plastic, loses its bond because it flex and, and it leaks. It's not that it can't work. It just won't work for very long. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if you believe that your, dentist, your old dentistry is playing into your, uh, your state of health, um, you have to be under the care of a, of a practitioner. I mean, you have to. Um, We have a syntax, and you know, I think, in my opinion, again, I'm sure there's other people who may think differently, but I think mercury is the elephant in the room. You, you've got to get that out, you know. And if you do that, now you can start looking at some of the other problems that many, many people walk in here, like reinfected root canals, galvanism, uh, porcelain and metal crowns that are failing. But these are secondary, in my opinion, to the mercury. So when people walk into my office, that's always going to be number one on the list. Deal with the mercury uh, when you 
get rid of the toxic load, it may allow your body sufficient activity to kind of deal with the other things. And they might not be as big of a deal once the, the, the mercury is out, out of the picture. It's, you know, when you get the mercury out, it's going to allow much more accurate types of readings from the things that you, you have here. You know, the, the HRVs, the EAVs, the, you know, the, the CRTs, all the, the, even the potentiometer has better readings. So, you know, these are now better tests because you've got this big boulder out of your Even straight muscle way. testing. Even good. muscle testing, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it, it blocks regulation. There's no way around that. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to replace them in quadrants um, unless you do sedation dentistry. And, and again, there's not a lot of research on this, but my opinion about sedation dentistry is when you sedate someone, you take their autonomic nervous system out of the picture. And now they're either completely asleep or they're in some type of twilight and they're not going to be as affected. But we don't do that in my practice. I'm not a, I'm not a real big fan of sedating patients. And if we do it, we try not to, well, not try, we don't cross the midline, and we try to stay in a quadrant or maybe a side. That's how we handle it. Um, and, and again, how do we pick it? Well, the potentiometer picks it for us. It's the one with the highest charge and negative charge, if, if that's the case. That's something we didn't talk about, and it's not really appropriate right here. Um, this is a problem. You know, you, you remember that x-ray we just saw. Um, you can't see through a metal crown either, just like you can't see through a metal restoration, it's standard of care really in dentistry to leave amalgam under there and then put a metal crown on top of the amalgam. So now we've got a double whammy. We've got not only the galvanic response in that individual tooth, but also the leakage of the mercury. It doesn't seal it because the mercury goes through the tubules into the pulp, out the pulp, and now back into your system. So it's a problem. Um, Mercury tags cells and makes them non-self so that it is a problem for the immune system because then it starts to attack itself. It is, there are more and more recent studies that are implicating mercury in, um, in, in kidney damage, um, neuropsychological impairment, um, high blood pressure. It is um, in skin disorders, connective tissues, collagen damage, um, periodontal disease, astigmatism, hormonal um, depression. Remember, I t- told you the uh, the neurotransmitter imbalances, which is which is hormonal birth defects, chromosomal um, aberrations, and the autism spectrum disorders. And if for people who are genetically predisposed to autoimmune disease, it can provide the environmental um, trigger. Uh, so you got MS and Lou Gehrig disease, systemic lupus, arthritis, Hashimoto's disease, it, all of these things are complicated, perhaps even triggered. You won't, not if you don't have the genetic predisposition, but for those people that do. Uh, this, this is a, a quote that I like because, yeah. uh, you know, this is really me <laughs> when you really think about it, but low-grade chronic symptomatology tends to be ignored. Unless you are frankly ill, you consider yourself to be well, especially when your chronically compromised state of normalcy is shared with you by most of the population, you know, and, and <clears throat> you walk around not realizing how sick you are. And I think somebody said to me, you know, I said, I, I think I made the comment, I feel pretty good, you know, after all this. And they said, you don't know what feeling good is, you know, so I think they're true there because I've been kind of under it for so long it's kind of tough to get out this is the this is our team and uh 
you know, people say, well, why do you do this? Well, obviously, I'm doing it to keep myself healthy. I mean, that's, that's the obvious reason why we're in there. But you can see I have a, a lot of young ladies, and these young ladies are, you know... We have a maternity every, yeah, other, yeah. every other month. Um, you know, I've <laughs> got to keep them safe. I, you know, I, I don't want to have one of these have a, an autistic child. I mean, it's just not something I even want to think about. So we're doing it for them, too. And then the patients, obviously, they're being protected. But we wear uh, rubber-based masks with two filters, an outer one to trap mercury particulates and uh, an inner one to uh, filter the dust. And they look like this. So, you know, it's like a World War II gas mask, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> That's pretty much how we feel sometimes. You know, when we first started doing this, I have to tell you, it was difficult because, you know, that's not what we were trained to do. And, you know, to put all this equipment on and go in there and, you know, feel like I'm, I'm a welder or I'm, you know, in some type of toxic waste dump is hard. But, you know, I, I couldn't continue doing it unless I did it. Uh, we have a nose hood with a unidirectional continual flow fresh air supply, which protects your nasal breathing. I tell my patients, this is their protection right here. This is going to sit on your nose. It's a tiny little air pump that pumps air, and it literally will come out that hole right there. So I can feel it. I, I, you know, That's one of the things I check because I can't always see the pump. I want to make sure it's on. I just put my hand over top of that nasal thing, and if I can feel the air, I know no mercury vapor is going to be able to go back in. So everything's coming out. Uh, this is called an isolite, and this is kind of one of those things that just we stumbled on, and it's been a godsend. But um, what you have to understand, the standard of care for this type of work, at least with the IOMT recently, was rubber dam. Now, the problem with the rubber dam, if anybody's ever experienced a rubber dam, if you ever had a root canal, you probably had a rubber dam, but it's a latex piece that goes over your mouth, and it's supposed to coat your mouth. So as a dentist, we have you know, just the tooth we're working on, for instance, just sticking out of this rubber dam, and it protects your throat, it protects your mouth. The problem is mercury goes through latex. Latex has no value whatsoever with mercury vapor. So we don't wear latex gloves. We wear um, nitrile gloves. Um, you can use a nitrile dam, which would be fine, but my problem with the dam is, especially if you're working on a lower tooth, there's no way to seal that dam. And when this stuff starts to break up and it gets into that kind of granular state, the mercury I'm talking about, if it gets under there, it's sitting sublingual for however long that dam is on. And I don't care if it's three to five minutes, it's under your tongue, and that's a major source of input to your body. So we went to this, and this allows us free access. It keeps your throat safe. Those little, um, those little openings there are suction. There's a light on. It actually lights your mouth from the inside, so it's really cool for us because we can see what the heck we're doing for a change. And, um, you know, it, it protects us, and it protects you. But go ahead. Ozonated water. You know, we use it in all our uh, hand pieces. It's, it's coming out. We flush the, uh, the, the, uh, the cavity prep out with ozonated water. Ozone's a very potent antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal, and it's uh, very, very um, biologically safe. Uh, we use charcoal, a charcoal slurry prior to any type of amalgam removal. It coats your mouth with an absorbent material in case any pieces fall down there. Um, you know, if you're, if you're taking any type of... Um, medications that you don't want to have the charcoal um, neutralize. You, you don't swallow it, you just swish and spit. But you know, if you haven't taken any medications that day or at least a couple hours before, you can swallow it, which is actually even more effective because it, it'll protect your, your, uh, your throat. This is what the hospitals use for poison victims because it binds to the poison and takes it out. Uh, and everybody has a dental dam napkin and um, eye protection. This is what the, the napkin looks like just to cover the face. You do these. These are your puppies. We have um, LG2 ionizers. There's many other kinds of ionizers, but the ionizers render the mer ambient mercury and any ambient pathogens as well. It renders them inert, 
through electrophoresis so that you've got a positive field collector and a negative charge and it, and it it, you can take a gyrometer, and as soon as you turn the ionizers on, the mercury level drops to zero immediately, as do the, um, the allergens. This is what it looks like. So if anything rises up in the air that wasn't caught by all our suction, this will neutralize it instantly. But the interesting thing about this, um, this, is, this is what sits right in front of the patient. It's called a FlexVac. And this is basically a 5-mercury HEPA filter that sits literally right here below your chin. So we've got the suction in the mouth, we've got the, the air here, we've got this thing sitting right by your chin, sucking everything through. And what this misses, theoretically, those ionizers will get. But it, those, those little positive charges have, have a pad on them, and we're supposed to change those things once every three months. I've never changed them because nothing ever gets up there because we're so good at keeping it stable down here. So I'm very comfortable when people come in and say, well, how much am I going to get? You're not going to get anything because it's not up there, so we're getting it really good down here. You know, so medical-grade oxygen ozone. Um, you know, I don't want to get into this right now, but this, this is a godsend, and there's only about 200 guys in the country that have this machine. Uh, but it's it creates, part of the research um, group. Yeah, again, you know, a lot of this stuff is not standard of care, so we have to create a, um, a research study group with uh, NIH, and that's what we're involved with. And um, we use oxygen ozone to clean out cavity preps to... Uh, disinfect periodontal pockets, to um, clean out sinuses, to, uh, if we were to do root canals, to clean out a root canal, but it's very, very effective. I said earlier, it's a, it's a um, antiviral, antifungal, antibacterial. Um, this is a post-op rinse. Um, this, this, we got this, uh, again, from that naturopathic group I was with, uh, a lot of smart guys. But, well, what they did was basically took uh, sodium ascorbate and N-acetylcysteine, and we mix it in some ozonated water, and you just swish it around, and it just neutralizes everything. It's a very potent antioxidant. This is our amalgam boss. If you're going to take out the mercury, you might as well keep it out of the sludge. So we've got an amalgam boss that's 99% capture um, rate. And the, the thing that's probably most interesting is that once we get all of the dental offices with this on it, we'll save some 20 tons of mercury from going into the municipal Nobody really sludge. thinks about this, this but when it goes it down like. the suction, where the heck does it go? It yeah. goes into the sewer system. You and, know? And so they, it's a lot if you're it. truly going to buy into this, that mercury is a problem, it, it's really nice as a dental practice and I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why it's not mandated. It to, will be. To put that device down in your basement so it doesn't, you know, we, we just, it it's collects coming. in there. We have people come in every three or four months, take it, put another one in, and we don't have to worry about it. The only problem is we don't know what they're doing with it once they take it. So, I mean, that's another issue. It is not an exact science. Um, a tooth that was sensitive with the mercury all along, no matter who the dentist is or how skilled they are, when you take that mercury out and try to replace it, that tooth can be rendered sensitive. Um, nothing to be done about it. You can find microfractures. You can remove the amalgam and have the whole back of the tooth fall out. The smaller the tooth, the more predictable. The bigger the tooth, the less predictable. And you have to be aware that that's the risk that you're undergoing when you're undergoing revision. No matter who your dentist is, no matter, you know, if I have so many people calling and say, my dentist did this, they didn't. It's the filling, it's the mercury, it's what happened to the filling in there. And then these are all the sources that you have if you just want to get started. This is where all the information came from, from the presentation that we just gave to you tonight. But the ADA says there's no research. Go figure. Thank you very much. <laughs> Okay, so now what are my instructions for you? First, let's everyone just take a nice deep breath. And exhale it out. Oh, I know. So how do you feel? You feel like I am 
confused. I am overwhelmed. I am, right? What I really would like to say to each of you, there's a, there's a number of pieces of information I'd like to share for you to just kind of take all of this and put it into a pretty package and wrap it in the bow. So the first thing that I want to say is that the way God designed the body, he designed the body to be self-healing and self-regulating, able to endure stresses placed on it and in it. And in an optimal environment, that is, that is what the body is capable of doing. We do not discuss, we do not discuss mercury removal when you first come in. And Dr. Liu and Barbara are absolutely right. It may be that boulder that's holding you back. But what we know through assessment is that if you were to go, and we have clients who have walked through the door, who have gone before the cart and have had all of their mercury removed, and then we're cleaning up the mess. We've had clients who have gone and had all of the mercury removed and then gone through mercury chelation and cannot get out of bed for two, three years. Their lives have been taken away from them. So they went before their body was capable of dealing with the gift of mercury removal. We have a client that's even here tonight who we knew when he first came in, the level of toxicity and the distress that his body was under when he first walked through the door. If we entertained, yes, go and have your mercury removed, I doubt he would be sitting here today. And I think he would agree that he wouldn't be sitting here today. We dealt with an infection that was constantly nagging at his mouth. And what we did is, as we dealt with it, we dealt with it by slowly binding up that infection and gently removing it from his body at a pace that his body could handle. And he was getting better and better and better. And he felt his strength coming. And then the the question then became, now what do I do with this tooth, Cynthia? And then I said to him, call Dr. Lou. Did I not say that, Larry? Call Dr. Lou. And it's made all of the difference in the world. But if, if, Lou had, if Larry had gone to Lou before the time he knows the level of distress his body was in, he probably still wouldn't be here. So we have your best interest at heart. We're not keeping you from going and having the miracle of, of health come to you by having your mercury removed. We also know the damage if you do it too early. And what Lou and and Barbara have found with our clients that we've referred and have sent there, it's like he said, he's like, wow, this this is a win-win because we know they've been prepared for this because she wouldn't have sent them if they weren't. So, So that's the first thing I want you to know. So you're not being misled. You're just not ready. And maybe some of you are ready. And then I'm also looking at, and keep this in mind also, is how do we do it in a way that is that is going to be financially conducive to you, given what we also know is two years of detoxification on the other side. So we have the best of both worlds because we work with that together on how to help you get to that next level. So everything is about that consultation. And we intimately are, well, I should say she and I are more intimately working together. We just kind of send everything to him and say, you just do the work. The, 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 the next thing that I want to share with you is there is an organization that I encourage you to go on the website. It's called nvic.org. This is called the National Vaccination Information Center.org. Now, the reason why I want you to go on that website is because from the time you were, the majority of you sitting here, you were immunized when you were babies. And the immunization content when you were young and that's, you know, pre-1970s, most of us sitting here, right? 
pre-1970s. The mercury content in those immunizations that you received from the time you were a child was, was more densely toxic because of it, its level of influence in your body. Your health, by the way, was actually better pre-1970s because you weren't dealing with the levels of toxicity like you are today. Your body then became cellularly assaulted after 1970, took with it its measure of toxicity from the mercury, and then you started eating macaroni, craft macaroni and cheese and we're singing the song. You were eating two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese with pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. You were eating the, the French fries that you couldn't get enough of that take 125 days to get out of your body, just a small order. And we don't get small anymore. We get what? Supersized, Super right? So if it took 125 days to get a small order of fries out of your body 1970, how many days do you think it takes to get the, the supersized out, right? You're not, we weren't eating foods that we could pop into a microwave in a plastic container and have it done in less than two minutes because we are time sensitive. We weren't eating those in the 1970s. So you take a, a pre-1970 immunized client and you put them into a modern day today and now you're talking about a huge truckload of issues, and symptomatologies that are piled on top of that. Now we deal with children that aren't getting the mercury, but they are. They're just not able, they can say it's not because they've changed the name by law. On top of that, they're getting a lot of other influences, like meats that have been injected with, with antibiotics that are being injected with growth hormones. And that interacts with your pre-1970s mercury-filled body that you carried that child in. So they may not be getting immunized, right? But they're getting all of that, meaning from your body cellularly, and then all the stuff that comes from post-1970s dietary changes. Everybody understand that? So we're living in a world where if we don't educate ourselves and empower ourselves to what it is to make the decisions that are going to be best for our future, it's only going to be compoundingly worse, but it's going to look like it's in a better place. And it's not. It's just smoke and mirrors, and that's what they want to paint for you. He was talking, Lou was talking about copper being this new, you know, binding agent that they're using in fillings. The reason why copper is damaging to your body in these new um, fillings is because it's a natural mineral that your body looks for. It's a mineral that we have as part of thyroid health. We need it for endocrine health. It's a vital part of your body, both male and female, in optimization. But when it's taken in a synthetic form found in these composites, it disrupts the neurotransmitters to the thyroid and to the adrenals and to the pituitary and the ovaries and the uteruses and to the prostates and to the testicles for men. And it says, wow, we don't need to make this anymore because we're getting daily doses of it a lot in synthetic form. However, that assault over time disrupts natural mineral balance. And what are we dealing with in high numbers today? Infertility. And men are dealing with erectile dysfunctions because it's a key component to proper mineral balance to maintain endocrine health. Does everybody see that? So that shift is now going to in another direction. We might not be dealing with some things, but now we're dealing with other things. So that's another really important fact that I want to put out there. But I do want to 
share with you just a little, a couple of facts. And I'm just going to ask Barbara to hold some pictures up for you. I want you to take a look at these, that face. Now, does that look like a really happy face to you? But I want you, what I want you to look at is I want you to look at the mouth. And I want to tell you when all of this really started. You know, Lou made reference to in 1880, there was a doctor who put out the information that said, look, galvanization has been around since 1880. We know that we are bioelectrical beings. How many times have you guys heard me say that to you? right? We're electromagnetic beings. We exchange energy with each other and with the universe every day, all day long. But as early as 1820, there was a doctor who did research, uh, who was a dentist. And he said, I'm going to be looking at dentistry as found in the decaying of the nation in the 1820s. By 18, by the, I'm sorry, 1890, by 1890, Weston A. Price sought out, now that he was born in, in, in 1860, 1890, he's 30 years old, he's got a wife, no children, and he's a dentist, and he sets out, he says, oh my word, the, 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 the health of, of the nation is changing. This is 1890, this is 10 years after the doctor noticed galvanization as being a problem in, in mouths. He said, I'm going to set out because we've got a problem. I'm noticing tooth decay. I'm noticing the health of the nation that I'm working with, the body of people I'm working with, lessening. Why is that happening? And so from 1890 to 1920, Dr. Price, he was a Cleveland dentist. We're going to start just with a little background. He was a Cleveland dentist who went in search of what some of these causes of these dental distresses were. And what he did is he decided that in 1920, by 1920, he had had it. He said, I, I'm, a, I'm a dentist. These issues are coming up in greater numbers than they were when I first started my dentistry. And so I'm going to set out. I'm going to find out where, where are the people who have optimal health and have really healthy caries? Where are they? So in 1920, in, in the, the late 1920s, the early 1930s, Dr. Price traveled with his wife to hundreds of cities at a total of 14 different countries. And he did this over a course of 10 years. And what he found within that 10-year period of time is that by investigating some of the aborigines, these tribal people from all over the world, and I'm going to give you some of the areas that he went to. He went to the Swiss villages in the high Alps. He, he sought out Eskimos and Indians of North American, North America. He went to Peruvian Indians, Australia, Aborigines, the New Zealand uh, Merites. He went to the Gaelic communities in Scotland, African tribes, the Polynesian Seas. He, 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 he communed with these people, and he wanted to know, how is it that you can maintain this? And now these people didn't have dentists. They didn't need them. They didn't need them. And he shows up as a dentist. He goes, I want to take a look at your mouths. And he's looking at people who have never seen a dentist. And they're in their 20s and 30s years old. And they're vibrant and they're healthy. And he's like, what makes you so vibrant and so healthy? And what he found is that it was their, it was their tribal diets that made the difference. And the interesting thing is the same tribes always had, you know, what he called the, you know, the dark side, the rebellious side of the tribal mindset. And these were the tribal members who went to the Western culture, the Western diet. And what entered into their diets? Sugar. And then look at what happens within literally a short period of time. 
Now, what he also noticed was facial structures started changing in the, in, in the generations that followed. If you'll notice, they're nice and wide and full, high arches in the mouths, plenty of room for all of the teeth to come in. What are we having done today? Wisdom teeth are taken out. Well, God designed wisdom teeth, didn't he? What was he thinking? You know, did he not know that we were never, we're not going to use them. They're obsolete. We'll just take them out. Young age, braces. We've got six years old, six year olds coming in with braces, like, you know, spacers in their mouth to expand their mouths because they're so congested. Six years old. What's happening here? Right? It's the dietary deficiencies that they're being born in generationally. So he said, this isn't happening. This is the way it should be. This is where we're going. And he recognized that if we don't change the way we view food as being a vital part of our health, this is where we're going to end up and it's going to get worse. And that was in the 1920s and the 1930s. And look at where we are today. Look at where we are. And so we've got to consider how do we get back to that? Because it's never too late. We still have generations that are being born, do we not? So how do we get back to that? Well, we reinstill a foundational diet. Now, people laugh. You know, I say, no cookies, candies, cakes, and ice cream. And what I do is I have to teach you how to go from a very toxic world to a world that exists in aborigine times. And how do we do that? On gradiences. Because if I asked any of you to hug this tree, you would fail miserably. So you have to do it in slow gradiences. You have to attend lectures like this. You have to become empowered. It doesn't mean you go out and hug the tree right away, although this is a really great tree to hug. You don't hug him right away. You gradient towards him. And you build your level of knowledge. You build your confidence in knowing that as your body gets stronger and it's able to endure stresses placed on it and in it, then dealing with this tree is a really great way to go. And, and educate yourself on how to change the next generation. You know, we have a mom who says, we've got, we've got a couple of moms here that have been with me for quite a long time. And I remember somebody said to one of my moms here, isn't it expensive living the well of life way? And I love what she said. She says, it's, it's more expensive to not live the well of life way. And I've put a lot of money in getting myself well, getting my husband well, getting my children well. We eat foods that grow from the earth, have mother, father, moo, cluck, or swim. That's my favorite expression. You should write that down. If it doesn't have a mother and if it doesn't have a father and if it doesn't moo, cluck, or swim and if it doesn't grow from the earth, you don't eat it. Because if it's processed, it's designed to kill you. And if it doesn't kill you in physical form, it's going to kill you cellularly. And then you're going to suffer. And so she said, and I loved it, her husband who used to eat, gosh, what size, what size steaks did Peter used to eat, Bambi? Like 12, 14-ounce steaks, and still he was hungry, right? Huge pieces of steak. Then we introduced him to grass-fed beef, and he was really upset with me. And I said, why? And he goes, I can only eat like six ounces. <laughs> and he wasn't kidding. The reason why he could eat larger quantities of steak when he first was in, you know, before he came to the Well of Life Center was because there was no nutritional value in that steak. And the body was so hungry, it was actually starving to death, so he ate more. Now he eats less, but he eats more nutritionally dense food, and his body is satisfied. That's how bright our cells are. So we always strive towards that, that goal, that end result. Does everybody get that? So 
I, I, I encourage you to be empowered by today's lecture. I encourage you to be open and just, just chew on this for a while. Really, just chew on it. You don't have to swallow right away, but just chew on it. You know, pray about it. God is good, and he's got a purpose for you. This, you're not, it's not by accident that you're here. I tell every single one of my clients, it's not by accident that you come to these lectures, because what's going to happen 24 hours from now? Someone is going to have a conversation with you, and what are you then going to be responsible to do? Pay it forward.